Welcome back to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. My name is Mike, also known as the Used Book Guy on YouTube, along with my friend and fellow full-time reseller, Johnny B. We help people start and grow their reselling businesses from the ground up. We also have a weekly Zoom call and private Discord for all YouTube members. Head on over to youtube.com backslash usedbookguy to join the channel and gain access to the full-length podcast, Zoom call, and private Discord today. Let's get into this week's episode. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. Mike alongside Johnny, and we have a special guest today, James, on YouTube known as Bold Finds. He's going to kind of give us an insight on his reselling journey, his business. We're excited to kind of see how it looks different from us because he's not over here in the States like me and Johnny. So, James, give yourself a little bit of an introduction here and kind of take us away. and We'll just walk through everything. Well, first of all, guys, thank you for inviting me on. Super privileged. Yes, I'm James, uh, known as Bold Finds over on Instagram and YouTube, um, as well as eBay. Uh, full-time eBay reseller here in the UK. Started as a everything seller, where I think most people do start their journey as an everything seller. A lot continues that. Um, and in the last, I would say, six to eight months or so, I've decided to niche down into clothing, which is something I had zero interest in doing when I started reselling, funnily enough. So, uh, yeah, that's a little intro about me. That's uh, clothing of all the things to choose, dude. I think you're, I mean, that's pretty crazy. If I had to choose a category, again, clothing probably wouldn't be in my top. But then again, it's like different for everybody. Like, is there a little insight to why you decided to choose clothing and not toys or not books or not, you know, shoes? Yeah, so making the decision was really difficult because I'd gone from selling your Nerf guns, your books, your Furbies, loads of random stuff, anything and everything I'd sold, the electricals, the gaming side. And when I used to go out and source items, I would buy everything other than clothing. So it wasn't like clothing was ever part of the plan. So I've done a complete 360. And the reason I chose clothing is what we speak about in the group all the time is plentiful. Every single sourcing opportunity I go to, every car boot sale I go to, every store has some clothing on it. So I knew sourcing stock was not going to be difficult. What I probably didn't realize when niching down is sourcing good stock is slightly more difficult. So that's the reason I went with clothing, uh, plus the people I surround myself with. A lot of the resellers who I speak to on a day-to-day -day basis from the UK, they're doing clothing and they're smashing it out of the park. So I was in the mindset of if they can do it, I can do it. And just a little background, uh, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. The only reason I really know James is last year, I was the only crazy American to be up really early before our group's morning call. So it would be me, James, and the UK guys. I knew James back when he was a bookseller. He's transitioned to things, and we talk about things and help each other here and there. Uh, so thank you for coming on, James. It's a pleasure. No, thank you. And I remember them um, early morning starts when, uh, for us, it was super early. You know, we're talking 6, 7, 8 o'clock our time in the morning. So for you, Johnny, what was that? 2 a.m., 3 a.m.? Yeah, something like that, 3 or 4 a.m., something like it was really early. It'd be me and the UK guys for at least a couple hours and the morning call would start. Yeah, yeah, good times. So clothing, uh, I need more details. You sell baby clothing, you sell men's, women's, you don't care what kind of clothing it is as long as it's worth money. Like, Yeah, so when I started, I was strictly, right, I'm going to be a men's clothing seller. I don't want to do trousers, so I just want to do jumpers and tops and keep it as simple as that. Then I tried some trousers, and trousers started selling, so I thought, let me add trousers into it. Then I met a supplier, 
who was getting more women's and men. So I thought, let's try women's as well. Let's add that into the mix. Probably never going to touch women's again, honestly, because the amount of measurements you have to do on women's clothing compared to men's is horrendous amount. Plus, love the women out there. So when I say this, please take this with a pinch of salt. They're a lot more, I'm going to use the word fussy, fussier than men. Us men, if it doesn't fit, we kind of put it in the wardrobe and we say, do you know what, I'll lose a bit of weight and I'll get into that maybe three years later. Women, they need every single measurement. If it's not perfect, that returns coming back to me. So yeah, predominantly men's. I do like my vintage stuff. I'm trying to learn it a bit more. Like the vintage band tees, I'm really starting to get into a bit more. But what I'm realizing at the moment is as a clothing seller, you don't need to know every single brand to an inch of its life. You just need to know the nuances within the brands that are actually worth picking up. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and stick to men's, but I'm not against picking up females, jumpers or tops or blouses. So two measurements. Uh, and It's really funny you say that because I'm thinking about all my clothing and shoes purchases. Have I ever made a return? And the answer to that is no. I'll put it in the closet or I'll throw it away at the end of the I'm day. The same. I'm the same. If you get an item, you just... You kind of wear it and you'll say, oh, it's, it's all right. It'll fit one day or it's a bit too baggy. So that allows me to eat a little bit extra next month to uh, fit into it. But yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I returned an item of clothing itself. It just right, goes in with shoes. I'll just like shove them in the closet a year later. Okay, they've been in the closet a year. They're going in the trash. Don't care yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your feet ain't gonna shrink or grow it that much in a year <laughs> or they didn't fit right when i tried them on or i didn't like the way they looked or something because i get shoes as gifts sometimes from people um but no fair point and the other interesting thing i'm glad james is on he'll use a little bit more of an vernacular that's local to him than us u.s guys i think i mean what do we call trousers just pants over here in the u.s mike yeah everything's pants to me unless they're everything's pajamas pants, yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> Uh, our pants, our pants are slightly different in the UK, and it, it does make me laugh in the group when I hear people say, "What size are these pants?" And I'm thinking, "Well, no, we call pants underwear in the UK." <laughs> and it's funny you had um, you had Tom on um, the last podcast, and they refer to thongs as in flip. We call them flip flops in the UK. Like thongs are shoes. Um, thongs are shoes in um, Australia, but thongs for us in the UK is underwear. Yes. Yeah, it's quite exactly. funny when you refer to things as fongs. So it's just funny how we all have different words for different things and it's all the same, really. No, it is actually fascinating. So being a UK seller, um, are you allowed to sell everywhere that is Europe or where does the UK start and end? Because I'll admit it, looking at a map, I can't tell you what's what's what on there. Yeah. So we have in the UK, we have England, um, Ireland, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. That's the five areas in the UK. But with eBay, with GSP, we can ship anywhere in the world. So we can ship in Europe, we can ship to America, Canada, you name it, we can ship there. Apart from there's a couple of banned countries, I think Russia, we can't ship to at the moment. So, yeah, we do have, although we're quite a small country, we do have access to actually sell worldwide as well. The only difficult thing with GSP is the postage costs. So if you're buying something from America, uh, from the UK, a uh, five-pound T-shirt might cost you an extra $20 to get it shipped to you. So they've got to really want it to buy it. Now, are you kind of like Tom, where they only have like two parcel sizes if it fits, it ships kind of deal? Or is it something different over in the UK? 
Yeah, we're we're slightly different and we're we're quite blessed when it comes to postage because ours is all based on weight and the price doesn't change that much. So anything up to um one kg, and apologies, you might have to convert it into you use grams, do you? Do you guys use grams or pounds? You... <laughs> okay. So yeah, so one one kg um we can ship a parcel which is probably a pair of jeans and a t-shirt to give you an idea of weight that's going to cost us about two two pounds 95 pence to ship anywhere in the uk and then if it's double that you're only looking at an extra sort of 50 pence extra on top so about three pound 50 to ship it and if you have up to 10 kg you're only looking at about six pounds as in english pounds i don't look at views or the pounds and stuff so our postage is really cheap in comparison to Australia and you guys in the US. Now, I can't believe when you're talking to ship a pair of trainers, it might cost you $9. That blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, one kg is equivalent to 2.2 US pounds for all you US listeners out there. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of weight for, for that little bit of money. Um, mm -hmm. Now, like when it comes to sourcing and like brands, because you're a clothing seller, I'm curious. Like, are the brand trends kind of the same that you see in like the the U.S. or maybe do some U.S. brands do better over there and vice versa? Yeah, so we get a lot of the U.S. brands actually do end up over here, but they are a lot harder to find. And it's quite funny. Some of our U.K. brands that are probably not so popular here in the U.K. and we can't sell them. If they were in the U.S., they would sell really well. So we get lots of um, things like Patagonia is a prime example. We see that quite a bit in the UK and it demands really good money. But some of the other brands that I hear you guys speak about, like um, I think there's one called Philison or Filson. Filson, I think it is. We don't tend to see that as much in the UK, but if you do find it in the UK, it still sells very well. But it's very much like for like, but some things demand more money here than they will where you guys are. And also vice versa, you know, in the US, there's some brands that we can't sell for life us in the UK and you can get good money. So, uh, yeah, the brands we do find very similar, but there is some some ones we can't just find here. All right. So give me a breakdown on uh, where you're sitting at. It looks like some kind of like storage shed kind of deal that most resellers wind up like maybe eventually getting, whether that's a garage or a storage unit like myself. Like, where are you at? Is this like your workspace? How does it operate? You know, give, give us some insight on that. Yeah, so this is where I started day one. So this actually is a um, shed built down the end of my garden. So for me to start work in the morning is great because I can never have the excuse of I've got to travel into work. I literally go downstairs, make myself a coffee, open the back door, walk five seconds down the garden, and here I am ready to go. So what we've got here is my um, garage. And let me see if I can show you a little bit. Um, this here is my photo setup. Um, I've got my lights here. I don't want to show you too low because it's a bit of a mess. And I know if tech watches his back, he's going to tell me off of that. Uh, anyway, it's uh, the photo setup there and I work from here. So all of my listings and everything gets done by here. Then what I've got is two offsite garages, which are a couple of minute walk down the road where I store all my clothing items, which I run on racks and use the... Um, numbers box system to actually store the items in but before when i first started and if you go back and watch my first youtube videos what you'll see the racks used to all be behind me and to decide me so i used to store everything in here 
I just hit the point of not being able to grow anymore, which why I needed to go and get some external storage. So you're full time now. So tell mm. us about before you were full time. What was the trigger factor to, yes, I want to do this for a living to move into full time, whether you're a part time or a hobbyist doing it for fun? Yeah. So the reselling journey is so interesting because I don't think any of us when we're at school ever think to ourselves do you know what one day when i grow up i want to be a reseller it's one of them jobs that you just discover and um the the journey and the passion for reselling started probably when i was five or six years of age without realizing because my dad used to take me to the car boot sales which are your flea markets and i remember we used to have to get up really early and he would just go and buy for for home buy for himself not to resell but there'll be certain items he would want and they might ask 10 pounds and he would send me over to the store with five pounds and try and bargain them down. And they'll see a little kid with five pounds and that's all the money I've got. Please can I have this? Uh, and most of the time it would worked. And a funny story, I haven't really mentioned this, but I used to have a red, when I was young, I used to have a red puffer jacket, unbranded. And that was always known then as the sorry coat is how we used to call it. So people would feel sorry for me because I've got this really cheap coat that he would put me in and send me off to. So that's where the passion for reselling really started without realizing. Um, and after college, I went into recruitment and for 13 years I was in recruitment and I discovered resellers in the UK on YouTube, first of all and a few US ones. So I think Cincinnati Picker and Shed Flips were the first two in the US who I came across. And from the UK perspective, I was fascinated to feel like, are these people actually doing this and making a full-time living doing so? I didn't think that was a thing. Anyway, so I watched YouTube resellers for about three years while I was in recruitment, just for fun. And um, during the first pandemic, during COVID, I was made redundant from my job. Um, they offered me a settlement, which was a nice bit of money for a bit of security. Um, and I said to my wife, I said, I would love to do reselling as a full-time job. I, I don't like recruitment anymore. This might be the perfect opportunity to try and grow my own business. Um, and she was all for it. And the story is I actually went and accepted another recruitment job. And I was there for four days. And I rang her up one lunchtime and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. It's soul destroying. I don't want to build a career in recruitment anymore. I'm going to give it a go. And look, worst case scenario, we've got six months of savings. If it all goes to pot, I can go back and get another recruitment job. Um, and I've been reselling now. I wrote this down the other day, actually, since January 2021 as a full-time reseller. So I didn't start as a part-time or hobbyist. I just went full-time from day one. Um, and yeah, I've learned so much during that time. I think you should, uh, at the end of this year, I think you should bring the red puffer jacket back out when you uh, hit all your goals for the year. And I kind of want to jump into that. Uh, you had a really good YouTube video talking about like the reality of your business and where you need to be for it to make sense for you to continue reselling. And I think, I mean, I can't emphasize this enough. People like James say, okay, here's what my numbers are. Here's what I need to make. Is this making sense? James can sit here and say, okay, if I'm not making the money I should be making, then that's fine. I walk away from reselling. I think it was yeah. one of the best YouTube videos I've seen in a while when it comes to overall accountability of yourself in reselling. So like, kind of give us a, a quick little synopsis of this year, what it means to you and reselling and whether or not you know you continue with this journey. Yeah, absolutely. That video was 
it kind of just hit me that I needed to speak about that because I think it'd been playing on my mind without realising for a while. And I kept burying my head in the sand, especially the back end of last year, feeling like, do you know what? It's a bit slow at the moment, but it'll come. It'll work. It's going to work out. It'll be fine. And then we had a phone call with our uh, mortgage advisor when we come to remortgage on the house. And they said, you know, the rates have gone up in the UK. Um, it's going to go up. And we're like, yeah, we expect it. And then she dropped the bombshell. £500 a month it's gone up by. And that really hits home where you think, if it's an extra £100, you kind of say, I can find it. We can make it work. £500 is a lot of money. So it kind of made it click with me to say, you need to really dig into your business and work out your numbers and work out whether you're just doing this for fun and you like the lifestyle or whether you're actually making it work as a business. And I was on a podcast with my friend, Luke. He does a, a podcast as well called Bold Clobber, where we get together every Monday. And he was speaking about something and I was sitting there and something was just clicking in my head. And it just told me like, you need to really look at your business because it's not working right now. Um, and I spoke to a couple of people, spoke to Mel back from burnout, spoke to um, the guys on the UK call in text group, spoke to tech. Um, and I released that video the day after speaking to them guys, basically saying this is do or die for my business. If I do not turn things around, I am going to have to go back to a job that I don't want to do to make, you know, reselling a hobby business, if anything, which, you know, I do not want to do. I love doing this. From that moment there, I feel like it's changed for me. I think the way I look at reselling has changed from actually admitting that it wasn't working before. I'm focusing a lot more on um, ASP and sell-through rate because I think for years I've ignored sell-through rate especially. I will look on the eBay app and I will see, oh, okay, I brought this item for £5 and look, oh, there's a couple there sold for £40. And I probably ignored that out of the two that are sold for £40, there's 80 listed that haven't sold. And I would still be like, yeah, but this is going to be £40. So I'm focusing a lot more. I'm, I'm digging a bit deeper when it comes to buying. And I use the term on that video about being a busy fool. So I would sometimes, and, and Johnny's probably seen this from the group, there'll be times sometimes at midnight, I'd be listing, listing, listing away up until three, four in the morning, feeling like that's the only way to run a business. And then I speak to other people in the UK who say, I start at eight in the morning, I'm done by 11 o'clock. And they're making five, six times the money I'm making. So you start to realize that actually doing all this work is great, but you need it to pay off financially. And where my business was, it wasn't paying. Very interesting. We have very similar backgrounds because I had a year of saving. Well, I had a buyout, which became my savings to give me a whole year uh, to make or break reselling. And also, I've also come to the conclusion, ASP is fantastic, but sell-through rate matters much, much more. Yeah. Um, and I think... ASP only model can work. And I, I even text mentioned this. It's just how long do you want to wait for it to start working? Yeah. Uh, it very much can work, I believe. And I was seeing that in my business, but the sell through rate was just horrible. And I had to make some adjustments on my end as far as the books. Hello, Amazon. Thank you very much. Um, Yeah, I was, and I'm still able to run my eBay store how I want to run it with that slower moving stuff. But Anything else just goes straight into Amazon. That was the way I was able to figure it out and stay in books. Because I was kind of like you. It's like, I can stay in books or I could do something else. And I really want to stay in books because I do have a passion for it. Yeah. Um. So here's the fun part. Question I have for you, James. Do you love clothes? 
Um, this is the part I'd never thought I'd honestly say, because when I first started, zero passion for cloaking. And that was part of the reason why I picked it as well in a strange way, because when I when I got sourcing, the amount of times I've brought things and I've said to myself, oh, I want to keep that myself. I want to keep it myself. And we're resellers, you know, the odd thing's okay. But when it turns out you've been to a car boot sale and out of the 10 things you brought, you're keeping four, it doesn't make sense. And so with clothing, it was always that thing of, I don't care. It doesn't matter whether it's a vintage 1970s T-shirt that's worth 500 pounds to someone else. To me, it's just a bit of rag. And within about two months of doing clothing, that's all changed. I now find clothing cool, and I never thought I would before. So um, I showed you earlier, but um, an item I got the other day was a Guns N' Roses um, vintage tee from 1991. Now, beforehand, I don't care for that. But when I got that and when I sourced that online... I was super excited, not as excited to say I'm going to keep it for myself, but more excited to say there is clothing out there that is worth hundreds of pounds that people do not know the value for. So my passion for clothing has gone like sky high, but I wouldn't say I'm a clothing enthusiast. You know, I don't get excited with new fashion. Um, honestly, Johnny, I get excited by money. There you go. And that is, I think, as a reseller, what you need to be. I get excited when I hear the ka on the phone, not excited to feel like I've got a vintage tea sitting in my storage of overpriced it and how cool is it I've got a tea. So yeah, money is the real excitement. Absolutely. I, I love books, but I love the money more. I yes. Um, and then I think Mr. Mike down here, I mean, he said it before. Do you love books, Mike? Or do you love the money books? I am books? literally the carbon copy of James in the book category. I love the money yeah. books make me and the knowledge that comes with it is exciting, right? You learn as you go, but I'm the same boat as him. I come across something and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is cool. I know it's worth, you know, $500. I'll buy it for a dollar, but it, there's not a single thought that comes into my mind. Like, am I going to keep this book for myself? Like I had huge buys of like Stephen King first edition, like every single Stephen King first edition and anybody out there, like everybody comment on YouTube channel. Oh, keep this for yourself. I'm like, care about oh, well. stephen king like this these books are like hundred dollar bills get them out of here like give me the money instead of the stuff so i'm i'm the same exact way and i think you're right and the business sense to just look at yourself in the mirror as a reseller i think that already puts you ahead of like 99.9 percent .9 of resellers because at the end of the day let's face it a lot of people reselling they say they're part-time full-time but they don't treat it like a business and they don't even know the beginning of the numbers to kind of understand if it even is a feasible business so I'm excited to see. And when your back's against the wall, dude, it's like all of a sudden there's a new James. All of a sudden things are kicking. You're finding better stuff magically because you're putting in the time. There's no luck in reselling. You create your own luck. And I think in reselling by putting in the work and the effort. Yeah. So I never asked this to, or sorry, go ahead, James. No, I was just going to say, I think what you said there about treating it as a business, I think, I think you're spot on with that, uh, Mike, because I think a lot of people don't see it as a business. They see it as like a hobby lifestyle especially when you're doing it full time. And, and I've been guilty of this. And to be fair, even as the back end of last year, I probably still treated it as just getting by instead of actually building a business. As long as I've got enough to pay the bills, like I've got a good lifestyle. I could do my YouTube on the side. It's great compared to seeing it as a business. And uh, when I first started reselling what you said there, I used to have like a hundred pound eBay day and that would be it. I would go inside, I would put Netflix on, I would chill out and I would say, I'm winning at life, a hundred pound day and that's it. And then you start having the 
30 pound days because you're not putting the effort in and the 20 pound days and then you have a blank day and you start saying oh why is ebay punishing me well that's why so now i don't re i don't ever look at my numbers on a day-by-day -day basis anymore for me that was soul destroying because ebay can be sharpened down now i look at the weekly numbers and i say was this week better than last week and if so why so if it wasn't what more could i have done have have i dropped the you know the quality of the items i'm putting into the store am i not actually concentrating on making sure everything hits my metrics so that's been a real big change for me now to actually focus on it and look at it as a business and not a hobby lifestyle because you can have it as a hobby lifestyle i think but you've got to have income coming in from somewhere else to allow you to have that hobbyist i haven't got that so I meant to ask this to Tom, but I'm going to ask it to you. So in our group, I've noted how hard was that transition jumping in a group full of Americans, I guess, is the best way to put it. Because, again, we use words like everybody can understand each other mostly, but sometimes there's a couple of words here and there. It's like, yeah. I don't know what they mean. It's the whole context of this conversation. Yeah, I, I put it off for ages, and um, I discovered the group when it was obviously Chris's group, Daily Refinement um that's when i first discovered the group and um it's really funny tech was an unknown thing to me at that point because you'd heard his name and the reason i i joined the group actually is i used to drive to the car boot sale on a saturday and on youtube on the way i would listen to the podcast but the first half an hour and they would always cut off and it would say if you want more basically join the group and i thought what am i missing what more is there like this is great but what more is there and um on one of the Wednesday lives, I saw someone from the UK who's not in the group anymore. His name's Tom. I don't know if he's reselling anymore. And he was from the UK. And I reached out to him and said, it's an American group. Like, are you getting value as a UK person? And he said to me, it's great. Come and join. Because although it is mostly American people in the group, a lot of it is relatable to the UK. Yes, there's sometimes in calls where, you know, a lot of the stuff we cannot find in the UK and is not relatable. But lots of the processes and nuances around business it doesn't matter i believe what country you're in you can make it into your own thing so i joined the group and yeah i've been in the group now over two years i've been in the group and uh, i've learned so much i've made lots of friends i've made lots of business connections um and now i host the uk call and i co-host the youtube call with mail back from burnout as well so yeah i i love being in it i love the fact that you can go in there and reselling is a very lonely job. I think a lot of people find that you're in your own headspace. And for me, going from working in the business, speaking with hundreds of people on a daily basis in recruitment, managing the recruitment process for a big company, to then coming down my little shed and sitting here. There's only so many podcasts and Spotify and YouTube you can watch. So I like going in and just having that interaction to be able to ask questions. So, uh, yeah, I think regardless whether you're from America or anywhere else, there's value in the group, regardless of what country you're in. So I'm going to ask this question to both of you because it doesn't really apply to me because I don't really have my own YouTube channel outside of appearing on this, of course. So how is the reselling balance, the family balance, and then the YouTube balance? How, how does that work for you guys? I'll go first, James, because then you can kind of lead this into your YouTube journey and everything. Uh, for me, it's YouTube it's not a money-making tool by any means necessary out there. So anybody that resells and does YouTube, if you think it's going to be another income stream, it's possible, but we're talking years and years, hundreds, hundreds of videos. Um, it does require you to 
have a schedule that is airtight because as a full-time reseller like me and James, if we're not making money from YouTube, but we're making money from reselling, we can't trade off reselling time for YouTube time. It's all a balancing act. And I think, you know, a lot of it is, you know, sight unseen when it comes to YouTube. You just think, oh, you know, we just recorded this video, uploaded it right away. You know, no editing, no behind the scenes costs. And YouTube pays you thousands of dollars a month. Here to tell you that is not the case. But uh, it is very interesting, James. Like, give us a little bit of insight why you got into YouTube. What does the future of YouTube look like for you? Is it something you're going to continue to do? Um, yeah, so take us away on your YouTube journey. Yeah, Mike, you're, you're spot on there. I think a lot of people see YouTube as a, a bit of a quick win, get rich quick scheme kind of thing. And it's really not. YouTube takes so much time. And I I say this now from someone who now creates compared to where I used to watch videos, because when you watch a 10 minute video, you don't appreciate that 10 minute video might have took that creator six, seven, eight hours to put together. Filming from editing, from the audio, from cuts, from everything that goes involved into it. And now I, I, I realize that more so on the true crime channel. I'll speak about that shortly. But the reason I got into YouTube is I wanted to kind of share and just put it out there what I'm doing, because I watch a lot of the UK um, YouTubers who done reselling. And I thought there's a gap in the market. There's something else I could offer to that community. Um, and the reason I started it, honestly, was because I was a bit, bored with just doing ebay i wanted a hobby alongside ebay and that's how it started and i was quite fortunate on my channel because i had a video early on the journey that that went viral it was a car boot sale video when i recorded it didn't think anything of it at the time um the first couple of days was just normal views and then it gained i think about one hundred and thirty thousand views in just over 24 hours it literally went from normal to blowing up um, and it got me monetized. Um, that one video got me monetized on YouTube, which is great because then you start earning money from your videos. But it was probably the worst thing that could ever happen to me looking back now, because after that video, I sat there and I said to myself, YouTube's easy. Why is why why aren't everyone smashing on YouTube? You put out your next video, performs as normal. Put out your one after, performs as normal. Oh, okay, YouTube's not that easy. But I also made the mistake of what you said there, Mike, as well. It's really important for anyone who's thinking about maybe starting a channel. I then went to 90% of my time was spent on YouTube, 10% on eBay. And you're spot on what you say there. YouTube does not pay the bills. Um, I've done a video on my channel actually showing people how much I earned from YouTube in my first year. It's nowhere near compared to what you can earn doing eBay. But why do I continue it? Because I get that question a lot because I love it. I think you've got to be passionate about it. I think you've got to commit the time. Um, and what you were saying there, Mike, about where you put your energy. I watched a great podcast the other day with someone in the UK called Stephen Bartlett. He goes by the diary of the CEO. Um, and he was speaking about chips and how you have 24 poker chips. Eight are taken up by sleep. And where do the rest of your chips go? And I started to look at my own chips and say, well, actually, these go to eBay, these go to YouTube, and then a small amount is left over for myself, my own physical health and mental health, and also family type, like half a chip maybe. So that's, again, something I'm trying to change this year to actually say I've got enough chips to spread out, but to try and be a little bit selfish of my own time so I can make sure I'm the best version of myself for everyone in YouTube land as well. 
because I think when it comes to making content, if your passion is not there for it, it shows in the videos and the audience isn't stupid. I mean, this is very interesting perspective to me because I've thought about doing YouTube. I've never told you this, Mike, but then again, I look, I know how much time it takes because I've worked with clients helping them with their, their YouTube channel. I talked to Mike about how long it takes him. I just can't squeeze it in with my reselling life at all. Yeah. And then I also think about on a personal level, the amount of hours I'm working now and still continuing to work as far as a future family goes, they would have to be very tolerant of me and very patient of me, or I got to give up a little give and take there, obviously. So it's very interesting hearing from you guys who are doing all three. I can't imagine doing all three at this stage of my journey, honestly. It's um, I guess it also motivates us. At least it motivates me. Like I can't be on YouTube if I got like no sales, right? If I got like the lamest business, right? Like I'm not going to do YouTube if I was like, if my reselling business sucks. So I guess it kind of holds me accountable to others because you get people that, you know, longtime subscribers, like, you know, I have the membership, tons of people over in the discord. It's like accountability and I don't know, like motivation when you're around other resellers, because, you know, I don't want to be the crappiest used book guy, right? I want to be at least the half decent guy that falls somewhere in the middle. So that's also kind of an aspect of it and helping others, right? Uh, we, you know, work both work jobs where we didn't like, um, I'm curious about that. Did you put in a notice or did you just quit on that lunch break? Uh, yeah, it's a funny story. So um, in the UK, with regards to notice periods, for your first three months, you are on the probation period where either party gives a week's notice and that's it. It doesn't work out. So, um, yeah, I went into the office and I said to them, look, really not enjoying it. I want to be honest with you. I don't want you guys to spend any more time wasted training me. And they said to me, well, we're just going to get you to do the mundane task then for the next week. And I was like, but I don't want to be here. You know, I'm just, I'm just in a way, I'm not going to show up. And they said to me, well, you're not going to get paid for the week. And I was like, no issue whatsoever. Because <laughs> that. I'm one of them who I always said to people as well, when I hired them and when I used to do HR meetings, the moment you wake up in the morning and you look in that mirror while you're brushing your teeth and you say, I don't want to do this anymore. It's time for a change. It's time to find a new job. It's time to find something you're passionate about. So I said to them, happy to work the week notice, went in for the first three days. And in the end, they just said to me, just go. And I said, no worries. And they were like, we're not going to pay you for the rest of the No worries. I don't want paying at all. It's not about the money. It's about the happiness for me. Um, and yeah, came home and literally it was, that was on the Thursday. And I think it was the Monday. I was just like, right, I'm a full-time eBay reseller sat in the sheds and I said, what do I do now? So yeah, it's one of them. So a lot of our listeners are Amazon listeners. So can you tell us about the UK experience dance? Cause in Australia, it's not really as big here in the U S how is it in the U UK there? Huge, huge in the UK. I would say even myself as an eBay reseller, 95% of my purchases are from Amazon over eBay. I don't really shop on eBay as a buyer. Um, and the reason being is with our Amazon in the UK, probably similar to US, I could order something this morning at 10 a.m. And it could be with me on some of the items. It could be with me this evening by 10 p.m. And I think we're living in that world at the moment where we all want things yesterday. So I know with eBay, I do same day dispatch because as a buyer myself, if I buy something, I want to get it as quick as possible. So, yeah, Amazon's super popular in the UK. I haven't sold on it personally. 
Um, I don't think, I mean, used clothing is not a thing really of Amazon in the UK, but other categories is really popular. I know when I was doing books, I did consider, uh, did consider using um, Fulfilled by Amazon and sending the books in. But our book market in the UK is so saturated because we've got companies like World of Books who just kill the yeah. market with low prices. So uh, when I was doing the books, eBay was working well with the bundle side, you know, so not the individual books as such, but bundling up authors was doing really well for me. That's what I was going to ask you, because I do know you've resold books before, if you ever tried to sell books on Amazon or not. Um, no, yeah, no, I haven't I haven't done it on Amazon. All the books I've done were were solely eBay. Gotcha. Sounds like you, uh, the, the dark side is right behind that curtain behind you, and one day you're going to open that curtain, and you're going to come right on over to the Amazon dark side. the smiley face of Amazon behind <laughs> the curtain there. You know what? Someone said to me on my live the other day, they were like, um, are you in the women's changing room? And you know when someone says something in your comments on your live, and you sit down, I read the comments twice, and I was like, women's change room? And then everyone else said, yeah, the curtain behind you. This curtain behind me actually hides some of the mess I'm dealing with at the moment. So I pull it across to make it look like I'm really organized. But if I open it up, it's just stacks of clothing that need processing. See, Amazon, I they got all my stuff at their warehouse, dude. I don't need curtains, although I do have like a fake background behind me. But uh, I can't yeah. tell if we're soft selling or hard selling Amazon to him right yeah. now. Is this, <laughs> is this sponsored by Amazon, this uh, podcast? <laughs> they sent us to convince They got you. the money for it. They're like, convince this guy to sell on Amazon. He's got a YouTube channel. We need more publicity. <laughs> Plug more Amazon. There you go. So like your YouTube career, uh, you know, you like helping others. Now you're doing this true crime stuff. I'm I personally love true crime. I'm like unsolved mystery, true crime every single night. That's like what puts me to sleep. So give me a little bit of insight on that and like why you decided is I guess the overall thing is do you want YouTube to be another stream of income to supplement reselling as well? Because you can, we talked about it, you can get it there. It's just a lot of work and effort. Is that kind of like what you're working towards? Yeah. So the reselling channel for me was never it sounds really weird to say this. I was never interested about making money from doing the reseller channel. I, I never expected to gain 10 subscribers, let alone what I've got at the moment. But my passion outside of the reselling world and outside of my job has always been true crime. I think part of me always wanted to be like that forensic person, but didn't want to actually put the education in to go and do it. So this is kind of the next best thing. And um, I guess if for me, I, I watch so much true crime, it's unbelievable. Um, probably a bit like a serial killer myself for the amount I watch, but I fall asleep listening to true crime because I can't, I'm one of them weird people who can't sleep without any noise. And the wife hates the TV on. So now I've got one headphone on, fall asleep, listening to true crime, wake up and like, you know, a podcast might be still going on. So it's constantly on my mind. And uh, yeah, I'm super passionate about growing my own channel. Um, and the great thing with true crime, there's no ceiling to the channels. So I feel with reselling channels, especially in the UK, the the best um, channel in the UK subscriber-wise is a guy called Nick Hills. And I think he's on about 50,000 subscribers and he's been doing it for years. Some of the UK true crime channels, they're on like 1.7 million subscribers. And they release a video and it has like 500,000 in 24 hours view-wise because it's so, it appeals to such a wide range of audience. So, yeah, I, I have um, aspirations and goals for the True Crime channel to grow it to a point of having to make a decision when it comes to eBay. Now, that's not stopping completely, 
But it might be a case of instead of listing 15 a day on eBay, I'm going to drop down to list five a day because all my time needs to be put into recording for the crime channel. But a lot of the true crime stuff, I will probably outsource when it comes to editing, when it comes to thumbnail design, et cetera. Because as I said to you um, before the podcast, um, some of them true crime videos, and if I record a 15 minute true crime video, I could be editing that one for about 20 odd hours, putting the pictures in, make sure the cuts work really well. Um, so yeah, I'm learning a lot um, on the true crime side because it is so different to reselling. And it's not as easy because with the reselling videos, I just record what I do in my day-to-day -day life. True crime, there's a lot of research that goes into it before you can even start recording and building the video. Uh, back on the topic of eBay, some some hot, I guess, uh, topics here that I usually kind of ask all the eBay sellers. Promoted listings, do you need them? Do you use them? Uh, are they a scam? Like, what's your take on promoted listings? It's so controversial in the UK. Um, a lot of people think it's a scam. I use them myself because I still want to gain the edge. Um, I started at 1% and then eBay changed the rules and said, no, 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 you've got to start at 2%. So I stuck at 2% for a while. Then I jumped to 5%. Then I went to 10%. And then I made the decision a couple of weeks before Christmas to drop down to 7%, but on the dynamic rate. So the max I'm ever going to pay is seven, but sometimes I get lucky and it's 2% or 3%. Um, but yeah, I, I believe in the UK. Um, I'd rather promote and give eBay that little bit more money to get the sale. No, it's very interesting because it's not only controversial in the UK. I think it's in the US as well. I think it's a worldwide conspiracy theory. eBay is just taking your money and you're giving it to them. Yeah. Or, hey, you're you're doing you're actually making money with it. Now, I've experimented with promoted listings left and right. It does work as far as people viewing your item. Mm -hmm. Now, my only question mark on the whole thing is who is who is eBay showing my item? I've never been able to prove this, and you can't prove it. Is it showing it to Billy the Librarian or Sarah the Dyslexic? Sarah Dyslexic is going to have no interest in my book, but Billy yeah. over there totally will. But as far as it showing people your items yes it does that very well now as far as percentages go i kind of drank the kool-aid on the 10 percent. then i got greedy and bumped it up to 15 without realizing or me asking the question you can't go back from that really without some suppression in traffic or lowering it becoming the new normal um but on some of my slower moving items i go as high as 35 just to get them out of my store make them gone um so I, i'm a full believer in promoted listings that it does work myself Amazon yeah, takes 50%. So like anybody yeah. crying about giving eBay an extra five or 10%, like, come on over here. We'll give all your money to, to, you know, Amazon. So it is, uh, personally for me, I got a funny story about promoted listings, uh, buckle up here because I sold an item on eBay and it was because I went in the other day and on my, you know, mobile dashboard, it said, I guess for some reason I didn't have like 13 of my books promoted. And I just went in, I just promoted whatever they want. Right? It's like 12%, 10%, 11 whatever they recommend. And I sold one the same day, dude. I'm just saying like, and I don't list, I list once a week for a YouTube video, one item once a week. So I'm here to tell you, promoted works. If I can sell stuff through promoted listings, anybody can. And it's just, you just build it into the cost, right? You know, as resellers, we get this stuff for nothing. It's not like we're going out paying retail. We're paying pennies on the dollar. If you can't give up an extra five, 10%, and it's every platform. It's not just eBay. Amazon fees, 
Etsy has off-site ad fees, right? They automatically enroll you. Uh, my wife, Deb, she's full-time Etsy seller, and they don't even tell you. They just say, hey, we charge you $5 on this order because of an off-site ad. <laughs> Who knows? It could be some guy that's just like, well, Etsy needs an extra $5 today. Let's let's ding her up for 5 bucks." There's really no analytics behind it, but it's just the cost of doing business, honestly, on any platform. You're not going to be able to sneak away from it. Like maybe Maybe Bonanza doesn't, but then ain't nobody buying stuff on Bonanza, so who cares? Yeah, and that's the other conspiracy with um with eBay, isn't it? With the promoted listings. Truth be told, none of us know. None of us know really whether that was from a promoted listing or like you say, eBay said, right, he's had uh, 15 sales there. Let's make sure half of these are promoted listing to get us a bit more money. But I'm the same as you. I'm very much a case of if I was to build my own website, how much money am I going to have to spend to drive traffic to the website? So giving away an extra 7% or 10% to eBay, Whatever gets me an extra, you know, a thousand sales a year, take my money. So I got a two-part question for you. The biggest lesson you've had to learn during the whole reselling process and the one piece of advice you'd like to give everyone listening about reselling. Biggest lesson, um, funnily enough, has been recent. Know your numbers. Know exactly what you are buying items for. How much you're selling them for is only one part. How much money actually hits your bank account when you've sold them items? That is the biggest lesson I can give you because for ages, I used to think I'm buying an item for a pound. I've sold it for $9.99 or I'm making great money. When you take out everything, when you take out your time, your cost, when you take out the VAT we have to pay in the UK, if you're um, uh, tax registered as well, you have to pay all the other fees. And then you've got, um, your promoted listings. And by the time you work it all out and calculate it down, that one pound item that you paid, you're only maybe making two or three pounds from it. And you've had to ship it to a customer. You've got to pay for all that, um, the poly bag, et cetera. And funnily enough, what I'm finding is them customers are the ones who will open up a return. When I'm selling stuff now for a hundred pound, hardly ever comes back, very rare. But these three nights in iron items I'm looking to clear from my store are the ones where the customer's not happy, they want to open a return or they leave you negative feedback. So yeah, tip number one, I would give to anyone, know your numbers and do it as early as possible. I made that mistake. It's funny you say that. I had a conversation with somebody about this just yesterday. It's like, why am I getting so many questions? Why am I getting so returns? I asked him, how much are you selling your items for? He said $5.99. I'm like, well, that's exactly why. They may not have $5.99 and they're living paycheck to paycheck, or they're buying stuff on credit. So if there's any issue, any mistake with that order, they need that money or the item to work as intended. So, and with all due respect, when you're selling to the poor who need the money, if you're selling to the poor customer set, it's gotta be perfect every time. Now the guy spending 30 or more bucks doesn't care. He's got 30 or more bucks to blow. The $10 or less crowd questions all day long, returns all day long. So that's another reason to kind of move toward a higher ASP model is you're just going to have less issues. And I, I think that's just a demographic global thing because I, I like that you said that because it's not just the U.S. market. Apparently, it's the U.K. markets that way as well. Right. What is your goals like? Uh, I don't I mean, I guess your overall goals for reselling and YouTube in 2024 it's only january so you still got 11 months here to, to uh kind of get things ironed out but you know on the topic of you deciding whether or not you continue your reselling journey do you have a specific number in your mind where you're like okay i gotta make at least you know i gotta do at least 
$80,000 in sales or $100,000 in sales for me to continue? Yeah, absolutely. I um I spoke to Tech about this and Tech asked me the same question the other day. Now, I I set my goal at 100K is what I set my goal for this year, which works out, I've got it on my notepad next to me, £274 a day in sales, what I need to hit, to hit my goal. But someone from the UK, Lee, also said to me, set it at 120K. And I couldn't get my head around it at first, and now it makes perfect sense. And the reason you do that is because every day is not perfect. So setting 120K, you can account in returns, counting them days where it is a bit slow, counting them days where finding stock was a little bit more difficult and not everything hit your metrics or you didn't hit your listing goal because it wasn't good enough to put in the store. So now I aim for £328.78 a day. But I also appreciate the first couple of months of this year, it's not going to be that because I've changed the whole model of actually concentrating on the higher ASP and the higher sell-through. So I've, I've noticed quite quickly, eBay doesn't reward you overnight. It takes that consistency and the consistent build to start getting them sales in. So the goal for um, reselling is 120000 for this year. The goal for YouTube, I used to I used to always set goals for I want to hit X amount of subscribers. And I quickly realized that you can't control that. If you put out content and people enjoy it, they will subscribe. You can't force people to click that button. We can ask and we all do, but you can't force it. So my goals for YouTube this year is consistency. Two reselling videos every single week this year. One true crime video every single week this year. And that's consistency. And if I do miss a week and I've only done one video for the reselling, it just means the next week needs to be free videos. So, uh, yeah, what's that? 100 and, 104 reselling videos from me this year, excluding lives and then true crime, 52 crew, true crime videos. So I'm going to say something maybe controversial to those listening to the audience. I think 100K is too low um, if you're 30 years of age or older. Um, I think you need to be pushing more toward 200K. Now, if you're younger than 30 years of age, you probably want to aim that goal at 300K. Now, this is over the course of your reselling career. I'm not saying year one, you need to be making $200,000. Yeah. I'm saying that is probably the goal, bare minimum, you need to make to account for retirement, children, college education, any other lifestyle changes you want to make. Now, if you want to be living the yacht style life, that's a whole different model. You're targeting probably a mil a year or more. Um, and this is after tax and all of that, after all fees and whatnot. Um, I think that is a healthy goal. Now, the 100K, I've heard that in multiple groups, no matter where I go, that is a digestible number that everybody can swallow and understand. So I get why people say 100K, but for me personally, to people listening, I think it's too small. You need to aim much higher, just like James, uh, his friend mentioned to him to aim a little higher. Yeah, absolutely. And this this 100K thing for me is the benchmark for this year. I do not want the second year. And it, it's really weird to say this because I've been, as I said, I've been reselling now for years. And in a weird way, I feel like this year is like my first year. And I think it might be because I've completely niched down now and I am following now a sensible model to grow and I understand my numbers more. But I, I completely agree with Johnny there. For me, 100K is like the lowest I want to be hitting. Next year... I completely agree. It should be 150, 180, 200. Because although YouTube money doesn't pay that much, I still want both channels to be arms of the business. So I can say on eBay, it was X amount. Prime channel brought in X amount. 
the reselling channel brought in X amount and look at it as a whole collective. But yeah, I always say to people, have that stretch target as well. I think that's really important. Have the target where, do you know what? I'm going to hit this. It's going to, like you said, just pay the bills. It's going to get me by. It's going to keep me in the job. And then have the target to say, this is going to allow me a, a nice two-week holiday with the family. And it's going to allow me to upgrade the van or whatever it may be. So yeah, I, I'm like you. I set these stretch targets and stretch goals. And I do have a stretch target. But I promise myself I'm not going to talk about it. I've actually got it. I've got it in an envelope sealed, which I'm actually going to reveal at the start of next year um, on my channel to actually pull out and say, this is what's in the envelope. This is what I've done. Am I going to hit that target? Who knows? You have to subscribe to find out. <laughs> <Your plug. laughs> There's a plug. I like true, that. True YouTuber here with the clickbait. I'm the same way uh, when it comes to YouTube. That's how you got to get the views. But I'm, I'm, it's like you think about 100K. I think more or less when it comes to, I hear $100,000, I think of processes. What processes are going to get you to that? You might not be making the money today. But do you operate at, as the same as somebody who's making that and more? I think that's the bigger thing with reselling because you just get lost in the sauce. Like you say, one day you're just like, nah, I don't feel like doing this. I'm going to sit on the couch today. I don't got to do nothing, right? I look at Amazon. Oh, I got all these sales. I don't got to pack this stuff up, right? It's so easy to just kind of be like, meh, whatever about reselling. And I think the processes for me have been so huge. Like if I look at my year-over-year -year revenue, last year compared to 2022, was about the same if I just look at my overall sales on Amazon. But I made more money last year because I had a higher ASP. So I was getting paid out more from Amazon. And in addition to that, I worked a whole lot less last year than I did to 2022. So it's, it's I know like the numbers are like, oh, I want to hit 100K. But I always tell people, like especially with Amazon, because these Amazon gurus, listen, they show off how much sales they have. And if you know, if us three all went and bought $100,000 in merchandise and sold it on Amazon for $100,000, we made no money, but it, it'll be cool to show off our phones and be like, hey, look, we're six-figure sellers, right? So yes. understanding the numbers is all that matters in reselling. And I mean, it, once you figure that out and once you start taking it seriously, because listen, when we all start out, we can't be like super serious. You know, we're not going to be like every number, every cent matters. But as you decide, hey, this is my business. This is what I want to do. You have to get to a point where you just stop and say, okay, what exactly is going on here? Am I making any money? Because that you only you only see the sales on eBay and Amazon. And I think they do it on purpose so that you think you're doing better than you actually are, right? It's not like when you pull up your 90 day on eBay on your phone, it shows profit. It just shows yeah. sales because you're like, oh yeah, look at all these sales coming in. The good, the good indicator for me on that as well is I've never felt my bank balance grow. I've always got to the end of the month and I've always paid um, myself a, a basic salary to pay the bills, to put food on the table, et cetera, et cetera, and to then start the month again. And I've never noticed suddenly when I've paid myself, I've looked in the bank account and I said, oh, there's an extra 4,000 in there. Like, where's that come from? It's always been not back to zero, but back to three, four, five hundred pounds ready to buy more inventory. So that's something else I'm looking at this year. I want to get to the end of the month and not change my lifestyle. That's another important thing as well. Not suddenly feel like I'm a high roller now. Let me go out for dinner every night. But to actually see that bank account have money left in it once I've paid everything I need to pay and then to continue to build on that as well. So, yeah, I think that's another indicator for people. Like you're saying, uh, you can look at your 90 day. It doesn't tell the whole picture. Have a look what money is actually in your bank 
each and every moment. Yeah, I agree. So we're going to wrap it up here. James, we appreciate you coming on, hanging out with us. I mean, listen, if I'm the betting man here, I guarantee you're going to hit 100K. I just, I mean, I've I've known you for an hour now. Uh, I can just see like the determination you have and understanding your numbers. That alone will get you there. Uh, the inventory will come with time, the knowledge you have. But I for sure believe uh, you're going to hit the 100K. Johnny, any last remarks for James? Go Trousers. Go, go trousers. <laughs> yeah, go go pants. Um, no, I appreciate I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, hey, look, if I don't hit 100k, it's going to make a good YouTube video with yeah. I quit eBay, and it's not clickbait. So uh, no, it is. People love failure more than success. They do. Yeah, yeah, um, it's it's funny because uh, my video coming out tomorrow is like it's clickbaity failure stuff. So it works, but I mean, yeah. it'll it'll be pretty crazy, right? Like. My last I quit eBay video, and uh, it'll be the one you make the most money on, right? <laughs> it'll be uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, so backwards. Gonna, YouTube's going to pay, but that's it. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, we're not making that video anyway. But, yeah. So, uh, James, YouTube, Bold Finds, Instagram, Bold Finds. It'll be linked below. James, we appreciate you hanging out. And uh, maybe, you know what? I'm going to bookmark it. Next year in January, we will have the same exact chat, and uh, we'll see what your goals and targets are there. So, we appreciate you. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Reseller's Mindset Podcast. Today's full episode and all previous episodes are available to all YouTube members along with the weekly Zoom call and private Discord. Head on over to youtube.com backslash the used book guy and consider joining for as little as $2.99 a month.